Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verses 46 and 47. Amen. I'm thankful tonight to be in an apostolic church. Amen. Where we preach and teach the apostles' doctrine, repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is truly the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Amen. Acts chapter number 2, verse 46 and 47. This is lesson 13 on uh, the book of Acts. Uh, we're finishing chapter number 2. I've, I've said it often. It's taken us longer to teach it than it took them to live it. And uh, so we're planning on finishing chapter number 2 tonight. Acts 2, 46 and 47. If you found it, say Amen. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. We're going to continue our lesson. We're talking about kingdom life, about how to live in the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you anoint me to teach your word, anoint our ears to hear. God, I pray let the word find good ground in our heart and in our lives. I pray let it bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. Amen. A few weeks ago when we did the kingdom life part one, we spoke about how the word kingdom is actually a compound word that comes from two other words, the word king and the word domain. It means a kingdom is the king's domain or the area where the king and is in power. It is a sphere of power that the king has. And so if you're going to be in a kingdom, you have to learn how to live by the laws of the king. And I said a few weeks ago, you can be in a church and still not be in the kingdom of God. You can be in a church service and not be in the kingdom of God. Because to be in the kingdom, you're in the king's domain. That means we have to be under the control of the king. And so the Bible says in Acts 2, 46, we're going to learn about how the early church lived in the kingdom or in the domain of the king. Acts 2 and 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. This word, they, they continuing and they Continuing. The word continuing has more meaning than just repeating an action. As a matter of fact, the original Greek word carries much more weight than just repeating something. When they said they, can, they were continuing, it means that not just that they kept doing something, but it means actually that they had a strong commitment to what they were doing. The word continuing in the original Greek, it means to be earnest towards to persevere, to be, I, I like this phrase, constantly diligent, to attend to assiduously. All the exercises to hold on to, to adhere closely. 
When they said they continued in something, what it meant was they were strongly and deeply committed to what they were doing. The word continuing here means that they were deeply, earnest, diligently committed to the things that they were doing. In Acts 2.46, it says that they were daily in the temple, that they broke bread from house to house, that they had gladness, and they had singleness of heart. These four topics are central to life as a Christian. Now, in Acts 2.42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we taught this verse a few weeks ago. That is the doctrinal, theological foundation of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple, then you have to continue in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, which, which most people believe means the sacrament, and in prayers. You have to have doctrine, fellowship, sacrament, and prayer if you're going to theologically be a disciple. Acts 2.46, however, is the cultural foundation of discipleship. The early church was strong because they were deeply committed not only to doctrine, not only to church attendance, to prayer, to sacraments, but they remained strong in the face of tremendous opposition because they built a solid culture of Christian family. Amen. I, I mentioned as soon as Brother Justice got done that I didn't tell him what to talk about tonight because he talked about what I was planning on talking about. As a matter of fact, I was going to talk about it last week, but I was sick and couldn't come. And so God just got the timing all together because God wanted you to have part one and part two. The church was strong in discipleship because the, strong, the church was committed to building a certain kind of kingdom culture. They remained strong in the face of opposition and pressure because they had built a culture of Christian family. The church built that by practicing Acts 2.46. This verse gets to the very heart of what we're trying to do as a church family, to build a culture of discipleship. Having events for the sake of just having events is not apostolic. If we have events just to fill a calendar so we look busy and all we're doing is entertaining each other, that's not apostolic. Amen. It's busy, but it's not apostolic. Praise God. Having events and doing things to further discipleship and to deepen the culture of the church, that's apostolic. Amen. Youth events just to keep young people busy isn't apostolic. Youth events to build culture and discipleship is apostolic. This gets to the very heart of what we're trying to do at Bethlehem Church. The entire church schedule is built for discipleship. Amen. That's our calling. That's our purpose. Everything we do is related to being disciples and making disciples. Amen. So here is the fundamental problem. With 2021 Christianity, in my humble yet I believe very accurate opinion, modern Christians see life as having some spiritual elements to it. The truth is that life is spiritual with some natural elements to it. 
Amen. Life is spiritual. I'm going to say it again. Life is spiritual. The fundamental downfall of modern Christianity is that modern Christians see life as having some spiritual parts to it. And that is far off base. You are really alive spiritually with a few natural elements added into it. Everything in your life has a natural element, has a spiritual element to it. Everything in your life is either feeding your flesh or your spirit. I will tell you tonight, you are a spiritual being. More than anything else, you are a spiritual being living in a physical world. You're not a physical being interacting with a spiritual world. Your body is only temporary, but your soul is eternal. Amen. We have to prioritize spiritual things over natural things because we're more spiritual than we are natural. Amen. You have to work, sleep, eat, all of that, but you must make sure that you serve God and build your spiritual man more importantly than you do your natural man. Because one of these days, this natural body is going to die. But the spiritual part of you is going to live eternally somewhere. And how foolish would it be to give all of our attention to the natural and ignore the spiritual when the natural is going to die, but the spiritual is going to live forever. So you're more spiritual than you are natural. The early church understood the importance of building a church culture that was deeply committed to discipleship. Amen. They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were deeply committed. They were earnest. They were diligent. They took great care. They continued in faithful attendance to the temple. You cannot be a disciple and not be faithful to the house of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I want you to get out at a decent time. I also want to make sure you get the word like you need to. Amen. They were deeply committed. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. Amen. They were deeply committed to breaking bread from house to house. Fellowship. Committed to one another. They were deeply committed to gladness. Amen. We don't see gladness as discipleship, but the early church saw gladness as part of discipleship. And singleness of heart. The purpose and practices of Acts 2.46 is to be disciples and to make disciples. Amen. Dr. Philip Nation said, quote, we are called to make disciples who make other disciples. Amen. We are called to make disciples who make other disciples. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. We're not called to fill a building. We're called to make disciples. The purpose of what we do is disciple making. Amen. And so to do that, we have to be deeply committed to continuing daily in the temple, breaking bread from house to house with gladness and singleness of heart. Dr. Nation also said, quote, the spiritual work of a family is to raise disciple-making disciples that focus heart, soul, mind, and strength on loving God 
and living as kingdom ambassadors. Boy, that's an awesome quote. Man, that's an awesome quote. Amen. That's, you, you know, uh, the, primary, the primary job of parents is not to raise children. I thought it'd get quiet. What does our good friend Michael Maupin says? It's as quiet as a rat licking ice. The great American philosopher, Brother Maupin. That's not our job is to raise kids. Our job is to raise disciples. We are to disciple our children. The number one responsibility of a parent is to make their child a Christian for life. Amen. And if we do that, we'll raise them. But it's discipleship. The purpose of the family is to disciple our children. The purpose of the church is to disciple people. The spiritual work, again, Dr. Philip Mason, the spiritual work of a family is to raise disciple-making disciples that focus heart, soul, mind, and strength on loving God and living as kingdom ambassadors. Be disciples, make disciples. There are many people who mistakenly believe that they're fine having church on their own. This is a violation of the commandments of the Scripture. It's a violation of the example of Christ whose custom it was to go to the temple. It's a violation of New Testament teaching by the Apostle Paul to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And it's a violation of the early church. The early church continued daily in the temple. The church was committed to fellowship in the house of God. Amen. How can you get a congregation in the house of God in one accord? It's when it's about God's purpose and not my purpose. When it's not about me, but it's about him. When it's not driven by selfish desires and preferences and tastes, but by his purpose and his desire. When we come to the house of God, it's to have a move of God, to minister to people and to worship God and nothing else. Amen. The early church was deeply committed to continuing in the temple in one accord. Amen. And the Bible said, breaking bread from house to house. This gets to the heart of what we're trying to accomplish in our small groups ministry here at Bethlehem Church. This is what we call life groups. Again, I didn't tell Brother Justice to talk about life groups. I didn't tell him to talk about anything. I did tell him to stop after 10 minutes, but, uh, but I gave him permission to keep going. So that was, so we're, we're, we're good. But this is what we call life groups, fellowship groups. This is what we call, you know, Sunday school classes are small groups. We've been doing it for, for generations. Youth class is a small group. Juniors class is a small group. Grow classes are small groups. Be free is a small group. All of these are groups designed primarily for disciple building. Discipleship normally happens best in smaller groups where relationships are built. There's many churches that are built only on the two or three worship services a week. That's not a biblical model. Amen. Also, there are many newer style churches that never have corporate gatherings. They just have a bunch of small groups. That's also not a biblical model. The biblical model from the book of Acts is in the temple and from house to house. Amen. 
It's not something that we can merely pass over and say, well, that's just how they did it. No, we have to go back. And I know I keep going back to this point over and over. I know I've referred to it probably in all 13 lessons on Acts 1 and Acts 2. But the Bible says in Luke 24 and 45 that Jesus opened the understanding of the, of the apostles, of the disciples, that they might understand the Scripture. He gave them revelation so they can understand the Word of God. And then in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 3, the Bible says that Jesus spent time 40 days with the disciples after his resurrection. He spent 40 days teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Amen. And, I, and so he opened their understanding, and then he taught them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In Acts 2.45, he taught them the things from the word of God. He opened their understanding of the scriptures so they would understand doctrine, theology, the plan of salvation, how to be born again. In Acts 1 and 3, he taught them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. How do you live as a Christian? How do you build a church? How do you learn to live for God? How do you get out of the old life and into the new life? How do, you, how do you learn to get above your addictions and your sins and your faults and your failures? How do you work, how do you work out differences between people? How do you reach lost people? Things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He taught them kingdom life. How to get saved, how to say saved, and how to save others. Kingdom life. The early church continued in these principles. They were deeply committed, earnestly diligent, and took great care. That's what the word continually. They continued with one accord in the temple and from house to house. Amen. I can prove historically. I'm not going to do it tonight. You don't want me to do it tonight. But I can prove historically and biblically that God has for all time used small groups for his purpose. He instructed Moses to make captains of hundreds, fifties, and tens. That was the method that they used to keep track of the people as they traveled through the wilderness. That's how they kept the congregation together and went from, from Egypt to the promised land. It was through this system of leadership. The early church had the, the, Jesus had a group of 12, a small group. And out of that group of 12, he had an even smaller group of three, the inner circle. The early church had house-to-house commitment. They were daily in the temple and from house to house. There is historical evidence of small groups throughout the history of the church all the way up until the early modern Pentecostal revival. If you're interested, I can give you that paper. It's about 28 pages. You can read it and see if you're interested in it. Thank you. They understood that to effectively become disciples, they needed the church element and the house-to-house element. They needed to come together in a worship service and praise God, to worship God together, to hear the Word of God preached, to be taught, to be trained. and then. But they also understood that discipleship generally happens in smaller groups where relationships are built. The foundation... I, I, I don't need to get too deep into this tonight. You don't, you don't want me to. But the foundation of care in the early church was primarily done through the small group, not through the temple. It was through the house to house where they built each other up and they established one another. 
Everyone needs to join a life group. Right, Brother Justice? I've actually got it in my notes three times. So let me say it the other two. Everyone needs to join a life group. Let me say it the third time since I wrote it. I took the time to type it. I might as well say it. Everyone needs to join a life group. The early church was committed to daily in the temple and from house to house. We don't skip church, but we also build our community through our fellowship house to house. Amen. Quickly, they were also committed to gladness. The Bible said they had gladness. Let me tell you, if you're going to have a joyful life, you've got to commit yourself to gladness. Amen. Gladness is joy. How can you have joy in a difficult world? Well, think about the early church. The Roman government was adversarial to them. Culture, the Hellenistic culture that came from Greece and Athens with its permissive lifestyle and ungodly ways. The, the culture and the lifestyle of the world was against the church. The government was against the church. And the established pop, popular religion of the land was also against the church. But with all that opposition, the Bible said they had gladness. Gladness is a function of focus. Amen. Gladness is a function of focus. You have to keep your eyes on the things that matter. I said it, you're more spiritual than you are physical. So you need to focus more on spiritual things than on physical things. Let me pass to you for a minute tonight. So many of us have been consumed, and this, is, this, is, this may go as my most unpopular statement made tonight. We'll see. Maybe I can beat it later. But so many of us have been consumed with the election and the virus and all the stuff going on in the world that we've been stressed out, anxiety, fear, frustration, and anger. And I'm not saying that that stuff's not important. What I am saying is politics are temporary, the virus is temporary, regardless of what some eggheads say. The world is temporary. And if we invest more in the temporary stuff than we do the spiritual stuff, then you're going to constantly be worried. But if you'll invest more in your worship than you do your worry, if you'll invest more in your faith than you do your fear, if you'll invest more in your soul than you do in the things that are temporary, you can find gladness in a difficult situation. But you have to commit yourself to gladness. It's a matter of focus and thanksgiving. You force your eyes away from the trouble, and you force your eyes to look at a God that has never failed us yet, a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, a God to whom it has been said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who makes a way where there seems to be no way, who is the door, not just a door. We have to focus our eyes on him. You force your way, eyes off of circumstances and onto God. Gladness is a function of focus. Finally, the last, the last verse of Acts 2. There's people shouting in their living rooms probably because they never thought we'd get here. Acts 2.47, praising God. Amen. The early church was committed to praising God. 
Amen. Praise is not primarily an emotional response to God. I hope you hear me on this for a few moments. Praise is not primarily an emotional response to God. This, is, this point is fundamental to our Pentecostal tradition. Praise is not primarily an emotional response to God. Praise is rendering to God what he deserves for who he is, not for what he's done. Amen. Praise is about his worthiness more than his actions. Praise is about his character more than it is his power. Praise is about who he is. Praise is about him, about his worthiness. Now, we do respond to what he does with praise, but we preempt what he does by praising him for who he is. Amen. The early church praised God. Were they persecuted? Yes, they were. But you know what they did in their persecution? They praised God. Were they troubled on every side? Yes, they were. The Bible said they were. But what did they do? What were they committed to while they were troubled? They were committed to praising God. Were they perplexed? The Bible said they were, but they were committed to praising God. They were cast down, the Bible said, but the Bible also said they were committed to praising God. Amen. If we'll have these fundamental things in the kingdom life of the church, I'm committed to my church. I'm committed to my fellowship. I'm committed to my temple. I'm committed to my house of God. Not only that, I'm committed to my church body from house to house. And I'm committed to joy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I'm committed to praising God. Hallelujah. Amen. Can I tell you one of the most, the things that I'm most pleased with over the last months that we've seen God visit us with great revival. There's lots of things I'm, I'm, I'm th thrilled with. I thank God that our prayer rooms are generally full on Sundays. Amen. That's where it starts. I'm thankful. I'm thankful about our life groups. I'm thank but, but one of the things that I'm thankful for is that we have, as a church, taken our praise to another level. Amen. To a more intense level. Amen. We're not waiting for half the service to go by and then we feel a goosebump or a butterfly or a little chill down our spine like a little baby that has to be given a piece of candy to do something. No, we walk through these doors ready to worship God because God is worthy. It's a function of his worthiness, not for only what he does. Amen. When we praise him, it opens the supernatural. You want to know why we've had notable miracles each of the last three or four weeks in our services? Because praise opens the door for the supernatural. Amen. When we praise God, the gifts of the Spirit can flow in the body of Christ. When we praise him, his power moves in. When we praise him, miracles happen. When the church praises God, it draws the hungry hearts to God. How many times have we seen it over the last few weeks, the last few months, that people that don't know anything about Pentecost, they don't know anything about what we, they, they come in and first, they spend the first few minutes just watching all the commotion, figuring, trying to figure out what's going on, half afraid, too afraid to come to the front and too afraid to go out. And they look around, but as the, the Holy Ghost moves, they don't even know why, but they start crying. God starts dealing with their heart. 
The next thing they know, God has broken their emotions and he's beginning to touch them. And before they know it, they're in the water being baptized, in the altar being filled with the Holy Ghost because praise is a function of the early church. It's something we're committed to. We're committed to it. Amen. This lesson, this lesson tonight is important because it describes our commitment to being disciples and making disciples. Our entire church program is designed for discipleship. Difference Makers on Sunday morning is designed to get people on the same page in unity, in one accord for what God wants to do that day. Our church services are designed for praising God and reaching people and preaching and teaching and worship. Sunday school, juniors class, youth service, grow classes, personal Bible, Bible studies, be free, life groups, fellowship groups, all are designed to, to, to disciple and build community in the church and to reach people. We are committed to continuing daily in the temple and from house to house and gladness and singleness of heart and praising God. We're committed fundamentally, philosophically, that is what we are as a church. Amen. We are not just a Sunday and Wednesday church, and we're not just a life group church. We are committed fundamentally to continuing daily in the temple and from house to house. We are com- that's who we are as a church. That is who we are. Amen. That's because that's the biblical book of Acts model for the church. If you want to be disciples and make disciples, you got to do what the Bible says to do. If we will, God will. You know, I started this series on Acts months ago by establishing two sayings that I hope will become mantras for this congregation. The first one is, that's the third one. The first one is, if you want the right answers, you have to ask the right questions. And this one, if you want what the apostles had. You have to do what the apostles did. It would be foolish of us to expect a book of Acts revival in 2021 and ignore daily in the temple and from house to house. It would be foolish for us to think we can have a book of Acts revival and not do what the book of Acts church did. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed your walk through Your your long, meandering walk through Acts 1 and 2. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? And why don't we lift our hands? And why don't we say, God, help us to be committed. Help us to be committed to continuing daily in the temple and from house to house. Help us, oh God, to be set on our our philosophy from the early church that we are going to be disciples and make disciples. And God, you know we want, you know we want what the apostles had. And so God, help us to be committed to doing what the, what the apostles did. And then when we do that, God, then you do what only you can do. You owe us Acts 2, 42. Acts 2, 42. They continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. That was what the people did, right? Everybody say the people did it. Everybody say the people did it. In Acts 2.46, the Bible said that they continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. That's Acts 2.46. 
in the verse phrase of 47. That's what the people did. Everybody say the people did it. If we'll do what they did, we can have what they had. If we'll be committed to what I've taught tonight and over these last few weeks in these, in these, in these Wednesday night classes, if we'll do what the people did, God will do what God did. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. If we want God to do what God did, we got to do what the people did. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. God, help me to commit myself to being a Book of Acts Christian so I can see a Book of Acts revival. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. And the Lord added daily to the church. And the Lord added daily to the church. I can't add to the church. I can't give people the Holy Ghost. I can't heal people. I can't set them free. I can't deliver them. I can't fill them with the Holy Ghost. But I know the one that can. So if I'll do what I can do, God will do what only he can do. And the Lord, my God, I'm getting excited about it. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Let's praise him for adding to the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. God add to the church. God add to the church. God add to the church. Come on, can you help me say it? God add to the church. God add my family to the church. God add my friends to the church. Add my co-workers and fellow students. Come on, can you say it? God add to the church. But I hear a voice from saying, I hear, I hear a voice from heaven while we're saying God add to the church. He's saying, do what they did in Acts and I'll add to the church. You do what they did in Acts 2.42 and Acts 2.46 and I will add to the church. It's kingdom life, my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you bless everyone that's here tonight. I pray that you bless everyone that's watching online listening by some form of electronic media. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost cause us to be committed, O oh God, to being a Book of Acts Christian. Help us to be committed to continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, and help us to be committed to being daily in the temple and from house to house in gladness, singleness of heart, and praising you. And God, Help us to be committed to that so we can see you do the things that only you can do, God. Add to the church daily such as should be saved. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God, to be a Book of Acts church in 2021. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. This will be your dismissal tonight. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.